0: I'm excited to dive into, like Pastor Andrew said, a new series. And so just so you know, if you haven't, if you've connected with our uh, church recently, or you kind of haven't seen how we do this, the way that we kind of done this over the last couple of years is the way we kind of build our year when it comes to sermon series is we will build different series based on different things like we just did with loneliness. And we've got some more sermon series that are coming down the road that are on different different topics, whether they're cultural, biblical, whatever, however you want to look at it. But one of the things we usually do is we will grab a book of the Bible, and that'll be kind of a home base that we'll come back to over the course of the year. So we'll start the conversation, we'll go over a section, and then we'll uh, go to some other conversations, and then we'll come back to that book, and then we'll do a little bit more, and then we'll go to other things, and then we'll come back. And so what we do is we kind of, instead of doing, some churches will go for Uh, to a book of the Bible, and they'll go for 16 weeks or something like that. We usually like to mix it up a little bit, keep things moving along and things like that. But we'll try and cover uh, a big portion of that book over the course of the year. And so our book that we've chosen uh, for this year is the book of Acts. And so I'm really excited to do this. We're going to work on this over the next four weeks or so, and then we'll go to some other things, and then we'll kind of dive back in. One of the things I encourage you to do is to maybe lean into Acts a little bit more in your own study study over the course of the year. So even though we're not going to hit every single verse and we're not going to do it all straight through, right? We're going to come back to it at different times. I would encourage you just to go and maybe read some different um, parts of Acts and use that more in your own personal study. One of the easy ways to do this, I, I talked about this last year. I use, when I, up on the screen, when we put up verses, I use the New Living Translation. Sometimes people ask me that. I use New Living Um, And the reason for that is it's easier to preach from. It's easy for a lot of people to understand, right? We've got teenagers in the room. We've got adults in the room. We want to have that reading uh, relatively easy for everybody, right, to understand and everything like that. But when I do my own personal study, I usually use the English Standard Version, so ESV. What the ESV does is they actually sell these little um, books of the Bible as a journal. And so what you can do is you can grab just one book of the Bible. So I did this last year with Luke and and doing it this year with Acts. And you just get that one. It's like $6 on Amazon. And so it's one side is just scripture and the other side is just lined paper. So you can go through just a page at a time, do your own little notes. You can bring it to church with you and kind of follow along, even though it'll be a little bit different. That's okay. Um, So I would encourage you as you go through the year, your own study, Use Acts a little more, maybe. Lean into that and do some extra study there. And if you want a little resource to be able to do that well, I like journaling. It's one of my favorite ways to do Bible study. Um, Those things are relatively easy to get to and easy to find on Amazon. And if you order it today, it'll probably be here like Tuesday. So there you go. You'll have it real fast. It'll be nice and easy, all right? So the book of Acts, here we go. We're going to dive in uh, to the first three verses here. And then I'm going to give us a little bit of background. We're going to have some conversation about it. And then we'll go through the first about 11 verses or so today, okay? So Acts Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, as always, the verses will be up on the screen. You can also scan the QR code on the back of your Next Steps card, um, and you can follow along with it there on our website as well. You get all the verses and all the notes. But Acts 1, verses 1 and 2, to start, says this. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Verse 3, during the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. So three verses, very beginning, right? But Luke gives us a ton of information about setting up this story that he's now going to continue to tell Now I just kind of gave you a little detail because I said Luke. So here's the first thing I want us to know about Acts is that Acts is part two of the gospel of Luke. So last year, if you were part of it, we went through the book of Luke. So let's just make sure everybody's on the same page, right? New Testament. So the second, ha- second section, not really second half because it's less books, but second section of the Bible, right? Starts with the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Okay. So we get Luke in there. All those four books, those gospels are the story of Jesus. It's about Jesus being here as a human and all the things he did in ministry and then his death and resurrection, right? We get four different accounts of that. Some of them tell the same exact stories. Some of them tell them a little bit different. That's good because we've got four different perspectives on the same story that actually lines up, which is good. That means you've got more witnesses. So we get those four books. We call those the Gospels, right? Because they tell us about Jesus. And then we launch into the second part of what we call the New Testament. Acts is the first book, right? So we would go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. So we have John in the middle there. That doesn't really matter that much. They just put the Gospels all together. But Acts is written by Luke to be the second half of what the story that he's told. So he tells this guy, Theophilus, which we'll talk more about in a minute, All about Jesus, all about the things that he did. And then he says, let me now tell you the results of all the things that happened. Let me give you all the fallout. Let me tell you what the people that were around Jesus, how they lived after Jesus had died and rose again and then ascended into heaven. So we find out Luke is writing to Theophilus. This is part two of the Gospel of Luke. Now, another important question. Well, who's Luke in the first place? We talked about this a little bit last year from time to time. But Luke, and this is a piece I want to really, I want to like add to the conversation as we process this book this year, that Luke was a doctor who traveled with Paul. So it's important, I said this to us last year, anytime someone tells you someone died and rose from the dead, you probably shouldn't believe them, but when they're a doctor, you might want to believe them a little bit more. So his reputation as a doctor was on the line if Jesus did or did not rise from the dead. Right? When a doctor comes along and starts to say these things, you start to go, okay, maybe we should listen. This isn't just someone that's off their rocker. This isn't a crazy person. Like he, he's the one who did all the research and decides, yeah, let's lean into this. So he's, he's a doctor, which means he's educated. He's probably actually also a little bit wealthy for whatever that means, right? Doctors usually make a decent amount of money. And he traveled with Paul. Well, how do we know this? Just a brief look at Colossians chapter 4, just the beginning part of verse 14. It just simply says this, Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings. Now, why does this matter? Okay, so let me like set the stage, and we'll, you'll see this as the year goes. Luke tells us a lot of information about Paul and about Paul's missionary journeys, and we get a lot of the information there. The interesting thing about the Gospel of Luke is Luke was doing some research and talking to people about Jesus. So he was actually gleaning a lot of information from other people. Luke, we know, was along on a lot of these journeys with Paul. So a lot of Acts and a lot of what we see happening in, in Paul's writings, which is a lot of the rest of the New Testament. Luke is there. This is good, right? If you're going to be on journeys, you're going to be in shipwrecks, you're going to be beaten, and you're going to be all of a sudden, Like, it's good to have a doctor around, because if you have somebody get sick or somebody's bitten by a snake, which happens, right? All those kinds of things. You've got a doctor there to help. This is good. So he's in there. He's with Paul as he's going through these journeys. So this is like like a first-hand account. Like Luke's right there with Paul as he's traveling through and going through much of the New Testament. And these two guys, Luke and Paul, give us the majority of the New Testament. They give us the majority of the information we have about Jesus and about the church thereafter. And so what about this other person that we just talked about Theophilus? Well, Theophilus was most likely a Roman official. Now, let me get to why this is important, but let's see how this, how do we know this? Okay, so actually, if we go back to Luke real quick, Luke chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says this, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I have also decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. So, why does this matter? Well, anytime you've got someone that you've got to address with a certain title, it usually means they have a certain status. So you think you if you were ever in court, whether it was good or bad or you whatever, you, you're gonna hear them say, your honor. You're gonna address them that way. If you're addressing someone who's in authority, you might say, sir or ma'am. Like there, there's an attitude of, I'm recognizing your authority in this. And we know that there are other places where Paul was talking to Roman officials and he used this phrase. Now, why does this matter? Why is it important? Well, when you look at church history... And you look at the very beginning of the church, the Romans did not like the church. The Jews didn't like the church either, but the Romans didn't like them because they were the ones who were supposed to kill Jesus. The Jews were the ones who said, we want you to kill Jesus, but the the Romans were the ones who perfected this. They were the ones who were supposed to make sure Jesus was actually dead. Then they go around saying the Romans are the ones that they said they killed Jesus, but Jesus didn't actually die. That looks bad for them. So we know that the Romans were not very excited about the church, but yet Luke is involved in the church, obviously, on these missionary journeys, interacting, and he's writing to the Roman, this Roman official, to try and say, hey, like, let's understand what's going on. I want you to know the truth about Jesus. I want you to know the truth about the church. And so you've got this interesting dynamic of Luke writing to Theophilus this Roman official writing so that we could then understand as well. And Luke is, is writing this book to be historical, but he's writing it for some other reasons as well. And I would say this, that the book of Acts is historical, but it's also missional and it's evangelistic. Luke did write this because he wants us to know the truth. He wants us to know the details. He wants us to know what happened. He wants us to know the fallout of Jesus's life, but he's also writing it to Theophilus as a missional piece and an evangelistic idea. He wants people to know what happened. He wants them to know the details because when we know the details and if we can trust them, we're more apt to believe them. And he wants it to be evangelistic because he knows that if this actually happened the way that Luke says it happened in Luke and then in Acts, that it changes people's lives. And so we do read it as history. That's the point. But there's also the piece that is missional and evangelistic as well. And Luke is very specific in the way he opens the book of Acts. The way Luke opens the book of Acts is by explaining how Jesus proved his resurrection. Um, I want to go back to verse 3, because I think he gives us some very important detail there on on how Jesus actually proved that to the people who knew him best. So in Acts 1 verse 3, right, we'll just read it again. It says, "...during the forty days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. You know, some people will say that the Bible was just written after the fact. The people, the people that were around at the time didn't actually write it. It was written afterward just to kind of perpetuate an idea or to create lies or to, you know, whatever. It's, just, it's out there, right? The people just would say that after. I, I would look at, it sounds silly maybe, but this one verse to me says this was not written by someone to just make something up. Because if you look at the way Jesus showed up, right? It says, during the 40 days, so we know it's 40 days after he died and rose again. He appeared to the apostles from time to time. Why not just show up once? Why not just show up one time, say, hey, I'm alive, and then head back to heaven? Why would he show up over and over again? And when you think about the human you know, how we interact with each other, think about the disciples at this moment. We know after Jesus died, they went, they went into hiding. They go hide in the upper room. They're scared of what the Romans are going to do to them. So they go, let's make sure that we don't end up maybe like Jesus. We don't know what's going to happen. So they go hide together. Then Sunday morning rolls around. The women go to the tomb. Tomb's empty. Okay, well let's figure this out. So John and Peter run to the tomb to try and figure it. they're like, "Yeah, it's empty." But Jesus isn't there. The, the angels tell them something, but it's kind of like, "Okay, like what do we do with this with the women and Peter and John? Like we're trying to figure this out. We we don't know what's going on. The tomb's empty, but we don't know what to do with it." And then Jesus shows up in a room where the doors are locked. And they're all, they all watched him die. Like they know he was dead. And then he leaves. What would what would be the conversation between us if somebody showed up that we thought was dead and they showed up, we had the doors all locked and all of a sudden they were there and then they're gone again. Did you see what I just saw? Did I, I is this, re- we're gonna wake up. This isn't, I'm gonna wake up tomorrow, right? So you do wake up tomorrow and then you have the conversation. Was this for real? And then he shows up again. Well, now you're like, okay, really? <laughs> now you're trying. And then he shows up again. It would be easy to talk ourselves out of we one time thought we saw this guy. We're, we're just nuts. This was a dream. We all ate some bad pizza or something, right? This is what happened. But no, he shows up again and again. And this is very interesting to me too, that Jesus was more concerned about their understanding of him rising from the dead than just getting home to heaven. Like he wanted people to understand that this was really him. And, and he didn't have to be concerned necessarily about proving anything to anyone. I mean, the guy just walked out of a grave. That proves it, right? But, but at the same time, he goes, no, no, no. I'm going to do what it takes to actually prove this, to make sure people understand that this is true. And so he shows up over and over and over again. And why is this so important? Why does, why does Luke start the book of Acts here? It's because without this reality, nothing else in the book matters. Luke's writings, take Luke and take Acts. If Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, they'd be interesting. There's some interesting stuff in there. Jesus taught some good things. Um, We could look at him as a teacher and say, yeah, good. Some of the stuff that he says, I like it. We could live by that, and that would be a positive thing. But it doesn't really matter if he didn't rise from the dead. And you even look at Acts, and you just kind of see a group of people that are so convinced of something that they'll do anything, but they're probably a little bit crazy. If he didn't actually rise from the dead, that they would lean into all of this and do all these things. And so Luke understands, like the, my whole understanding, right? Luke's ability to tell this story, his, all his credibility hinges on this idea of whether Jesus actually rose from the dead or not. And this is what sets apart Christianity from everything else. This is how I would say that Christianity is not based on philosophy or morality, but on the factual resurrection of Jesus. There are a lot of religious ideas or people that, that are based on philosophy, okay? I'll give you one. Karma is a philosophy. You say, if I do this, if I put this out into the world, then that would be good, and the boomerang effect back to me will be good. You put bad things out into the world, the boomerang effect is going to come back. Now, we could all look around and go, yeah, well, when you live your life in a good way, like good things happen, when you live your life in a, in a bad way, bad things happen, right? That's kind of honest, but like it's this philosophy and people will use this in a religious way or and, and they just live their life this way we, we, it's kind of this philosophical idea there are good things Jesus said and good philosophies he has there's also morality that comes into the question so some people will gauge whether a whether a religious belief is good or not based on its morality so is it good that we would want to love our neighbor as ourself sure if we would tr- if we tr- all treat each other well like that would be a good thing there's a good sense of of morality there. And this is kind of where every other religion kind of stops. We get philosophy. We get some effort at morality maybe, but ours isn't based on that. There is good philosophy in Christianity. There is good morality in Christianity, but the idea that sets it apart is that is on the factual resurrection of Jesus and what Luke is trying to help us understand through the book of Luke and then through the book of Acts is that this is a real thing that actually happened. And when we look at the lives of the disciples and the fact that they hid when Jesus was dead, and then all of a sudden we see all the things they're going to do in Acts, we see a massive change that happened in their hearts. And Luke is trying to convince us and show us what happened historically in their lives. So going on, Acts 1 verses 4 and 5 says this, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the father sends you the gift he promised. He promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus gives them some instructions before he goes. Right, He goes, don't leave. Stay here in Jerusalem. It's not time for you to go yet until you receive the Holy Spirit. This is also important because when we look at the book of Acts over the course of this year, we're going to look at a lot of things that happen in the book of Acts, and we're going to go, that's amazing. Why can't we do that? That's a, that's a question I ask sometimes. We're going to see people like cast out demons. We're going to see people do different things. It's going to be like, man, why doesn't that happen today? And, and here's the thing. Some people ask that question. It's a matter of culture, some things. It's a matter of some other things. We're not really sure why. But here's what we definitely know. That nothing accomplished in the book of Acts is a result of human effort. It's all a result of God's power. So it's easy to look at the book of Acts and go, man, look at all these amazing things that happen. But the reality is we have to look at God's power and say, well, it's God's power that makes it happen. And we have to be in the space of saying, well, whatever God wants to do in and through us is what we're going to be happy to see happen. And should we pray for God to do amazing things? Absolutely. Do we pray that God does things that we can't even understand? Absolutely. Like we want to see all of those things. But at the same time, we're recognizing that it's a result of God's power and not human effort. And it can be easy to look at acts and go, well, if we just do this like them, good things will happen. But the reality is we've got to look at God's power and how the Holy Spirit moves in us and what that looks like. Going on to verse 6, and then we'll go to verses 7 and 8. It says when, So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Verses 7 and 8. He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know but you will receive power when the holy spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in jerusalem throughout judea in samaria and to the ends of the earth it's easy for us or it's easy for me may i speak for me easy for me to read this and go oh okay we live where we see to the ends of the earth and we go we're pretty far from jerusalem so we kind of live on the other side of this going we understand how the gospel has spread through the world this way. And we understand this to be true. So we look back and just kind of go, oh, this is what Jesus was talking about. Okay. Like we know the gospel has gone to many places, but this was an important moment for the disciples. They did not hear this and just go, oh, okay, Jesus. Cool. This was a different understanding. Like if we look at verse six, it says, so when the apostle was Jesus, it says, they kept asking him, They asked him this question over and over again. Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? They asked that over and over and over again. We talked about this in the book of Luke. And you think about their history. Think about the disciples' history. If they look at what, we talked about the New Testament, right? They would look at what we call the Old Testament. And they would see the way God has identified the Israelites, the Jews, as his chosen people. So when Jesus shows up, and he calls them to follow him and they recognize he's the Messiah. What they think is going to happen is they're kind of going to ride off into the sunset with him as he establishes the kingdom. And they kept thinking that his time on earth was going to end with him overthrowing the Romans and the, and the kingdom being restored. That's what they kept saying. And we even looked at places where Jesus goes, you're thinking this, this is not going to be the case. Him dying wasn't on their bingo card either. They were thinking this was just going to be all good. But him dying was the thing that he had, to, he had to warn them of. And then he was resurrected. So now they go through the trauma of the death and, and watching Jesus die. And all of a sudden, and then he comes back. And then they're like, okay, now's the time. We thought this was going to happen in the first place. But now, now that you rose from the dead, now it's going to happen, right? Now the kingdom is going to come. And Jesus says, the father alone has the authority and you are not to know those things. He kind of says, mind your business, guys. Not, not for you to know. But then he says something that really would have stopped him. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes to power. But then he says, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, Judea, great. In Samaria, wait, what? Why Samaria? And then to the ends of the earth. They were still thinking this kingdom was only for their people. They weren't thinking everybody was in And by the way, being a missionary in Jerusalem and Judea at this point was also going to be pretty difficult because the Jews were the ones that could just kill Jesus, right? So they hear that. They're like, okay, we've got a a job for ourselves. And then he goes to the ends of the earth. And they're like, wait a minute. (laughs) We didn't sign up for that. We read this over as though it, because it already happened. For them, this understanding of what the kingdom was going to be, where they were going to have to go to the Samaritans, they were going to have to go to the Gentiles, this was a difference for them. And Jesus, in this moment, changes their perspective of the kingdom. I think that many times when we decide to follow Jesus, we've got ideas about what the kingdom is going to look like or what our lives as a part of the kingdom is going to look like. I'll tell you just a short story about mine. So like when I was, it was when I was 14, I decided to be a pastor. I knew what I wanted to do but I wanted to be a youth pastor. And so I really enjoyed youth group. I loved Bible class. I loved all that stuff. So I was like, I can get paid to do this. This sounds great, right? I would love to do that. So I started to live my life that way. So, so in high school, I leaned that way. And then I went to college for student ministry. And if you had asked me during that time, if I ever wanted to be a lead pastor, I'd been like, no way, no chance. And I said that because I wanted, in the best way, right, I wanted, this is how I thought about that, I wanted life to be fun, okay? That's what I wanted to do. So I wanted to hang out with teenagers. I wanted to tell them about Jesus. I wanted to spend time on all-nighters. I wanted to play dodgeball. I wanted to eat pizza. I wanted to all of those things. All the typical stuff you do as a youth pastor, I was like, I'm in for all that. But I wanted to tell kids about Jesus. Like, that's really what I wanted to do. And so I lived my life that way, and it was just the reality of what I knew. And my vision for what my life as a part of the kingdom of God was going to be was hanging out with the teenagers for a long time. And then once I hit like 25, things started to change. And I started to think differently. And the Spirit started to move differently in me. And all of a sudden, this idea of being a lead pastor was, was, a, was a new idea that was something I wanted to pursue. And we at times will get stuck on, well, this is where I thought God was taking me. Or this is what I thought He would do. Or this is what my vision would be. And, and I say it this way, that we can get stuck sometimes hoping for what once was, what could be, or what we want. We get stuck in those places. We do this, by the way, we don't just do this in church. Like, let's just take church out of it for a We'll do this with like music and movies and TV. I was having a conversation with some friends the other day. And we were talking about the old shows from TGIF. If, you're, if you are uh, younger than 30, sorry, you don't understand what I'm talking about. But Friday night. What were the shows? Someone tell me. Give me one. Full House. Family Matters. Keep going. Some people are just going, you got to talk louder. You missed the best one. Boy Meets World. world. That's the best one. There we go. So it's shifted, right? Sabrina came in there at some point. Uh, Step by Step was in there at some point. So you get these shows and right... We were talking, it was me and some buddies I played hockey with. And so we were talking about those shows and how we like, and I said, one of the main issues with, or why, why those shows were so good and why we don't have them today is because they wrote to the adults and they wrote to the kids. So you could watch that as a parent and you would go, oh, I totally understand what's going on right now. And then you'd watch as a kid, you'd be like, oh, that's my life right now. you like, both groups could do that. And they don't write anymore except for Bluey. Bluey is the spot. Okay, if you yeah. See, all the young or parents with young kids know what I'm talking about. So we we get stuck with this. We get stuck because we will look back at things like TV, music, and we look at what once was, and we go, "So much better back then." It was music when I was growing up. Was better TV when I was growing up. We'll do this. Every generation does it. It's not just one generation. Everybody does it. We do the same thing with church sometimes. We'll go, "Oh, what once was, or what used to be this way, or I wish it was still," and we get stuck there. We'll do this, we'll say, uh, what could be? I wish we could have, or I wish I could see, or I wish I could do, or if we could only have what they have, right? We start to compare, or we just go with what we want. I wish what I wanted was what was most important. And we have to realize, sometimes we get stuck in in those moments. We're not thinking about what his kingdom is, we're thinking about our kingdom. We're thinking about what it looks like. And when the disciples kept asking him, is it time for you to, bring our kingdom. They were missing the point. And this is very basic. I'm going to say right now, it's very true. It's like just reality. It's not very creative at all, but Jesus knows how to build his kingdom better than we do. And we get stuck at times. I'll I'll say this over and over again. I've said it before. We get stuck at times looking at the world around us and we go, man, if it was only, or if it could be, or I wish, And we look at that and we go, I I don't know, it's not good. People get voted in or people make decisions or things happen and we go, oh, this is so bad for the kingdom of God. Listen, Jesus knew all of this was going to happen. And here's what he did. He put us here to be the kingdom builders during that time. So when all the kingdom builders go, oh no, what do we do? We can't build the kingdom. We're missing our opportunity. So we have to lean in and go, it's not just what once was. It's not what we wish. It's what Jesus has called us to do. Right? Let's just read verse 6 again. Like, just think about it. So when the disciples, the apostles, sorry, were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And this is what I would say. The hour at the end of that must become his. We can't just be thinking about, well, it's our kingdom. When's Jesus going to restore our kingdom? Yes, we get to be part of it. We are invited in. But there's one king, and it's not any of us. And so when we start asking that question, when we start saying, God, how can we build your kingdom? How do we build his kingdom? The perspective changes, and we get the opportunity to lean in and be a part of what he's going to do instead of worrying about all the reasons that he can't do it or he won't do it or the setting's not right. We're the ones who have to step in and go, we've been given the opportunity. We're here at this moment. How is God going to use us, and how are we going to be willing to be used? And we go to verses 9 through 11. It says after saying this he was taken up into a cloud, while they were watching and they could no longer see him as they strained to see him rising into heaven two white robed men suddenly stood among them verse eleven men of Galilee they said why are you standing here staring into heaven Jesus has been taken from you into heaven but someday he will return from heaven and in the same way in the same way you saw him go. It doesn't read that funny. I think this is kind of a funny moment. They're all just standing there staring at the sky, and all of a sudden the angels show up. They probably, like, looked at each other and, like, looked. And then they look at them. They go, why are you guys standing here? What are you waiting for? He went, but he's going to come back. And every, this reality, this is what I think, this reality exists for every believer. Jesus will come back. What will you do until he does? What will I do until he does? And I'll just say it this way. I do not want this to be a guilt trippy question. I have heard people preach on either this passage or have this conversation and you think you can't go to sleep or do anything fun until Jesus comes back. Because if Jesus comes back at 3 a.m. and you're asleep, what were you doing? If Jesus comes back and you're watching a movie with your spouse, is Jesus gonna show up in your living room and be like, why aren't you telling someone about me right now? Like, that's not the way this works. But I've heard it taught that way. That's not the point. The point is, what decisions are we regularly going to make as we help to build the kingdom? The point is, we can stand there and we can look at the sky all we want. But we've got the opportunity to do something when Jesus comes back. He's not going to come back and go, what are you doing at this moment? But he is going to come back and say, what have you done with life? And this is why Jesus tells those parables where he leaves the talents. And he go, and the, and the owner goes and he says, do with it, like multiply this, do what you need to do. And then he comes back and he gets mad at the one who just hid it. That's why Jesus told those stories, because he knew this moment was coming. So the answer, Jesus is going to come back. The question is, what do we do? And and this is where the book of Acts really helps us. The book of Acts is about a group of people eternally changed by his life and unwaveringly driven to build his kingdom. I think we're going to get to the end of Acts. And I think many of us are going to go, it is not that hard to be a Christian today compared to what they had to go through. I'm telling you, shipwrecks, snake bites arrested, thrown in jail, just stuff that we don't deal with. But yet these guys and girls, right, in Acts, were unwaveringly driven to continue to build it in the face of all adversity because their lives were changed. Why? Because they knew that truth that we said that Luke told us in those early verses to be true, that Jesus actually came back from the dead and they were willing to give their lives to it. So the question is, right, Jesus is coming back. What will we do with it? I have a couple pictures I threw on a slide that Megan will put up for us. And there's been multiple times in life where um, I've been blessed to be able just to go to some places that have been beautiful. So college, I got to go to Germany and see the Alps. Uh, I also went to Chile and got to see the Andes Mountains and all that stuff. And I put two pictures up. The top picture is from Rocky Mountain National Park. So about three years ago, Becca and I went there because uh, her birthday in 2020 got ruined. I had a birthday party all planned for her and then the world shut down. So a year later, we were looking at flights to Denver. They were pretty cheap and we had saved up some money. So we went to Denver for a long weekend, visited some friends and we got to just go there. And then the bottom picture is last year, we went to San Diego and beautiful. We got to just sit on those cliffs and kind of look at the ocean for a while. And both of those places we kind of just sat for a while and looked. It helped that we didn't take our children on either one of these trips. So we actually could just sit there and look. And so we sat and just look. And there, there are moments, hopefully we get to do this at times. I mean, you might just be in your backyard and the, and the sunset's beautiful and you just stop for a minute and you just look and you just admire. And, and this is good. This is a good thing to do. It causes us to worship God in a different way. It causes us to understand God in a different way. And we should just sit and look. But at some point, here's what has to happen. At some point, admiring has to become inspiring. The disciples just stood there, and they could have just stood there and looked at the sky for the rest of their lives. They could have just admired Jesus, right? Wow, that was, what an amazing three years. How great was that? And they could have just gone, all right, back to fishing, back to doing whatever. But the difference was they were inspired to live life differently. Listen, there, there are a lot of people who admire Jesus, There's other religions that claim Jesus and his input as important to their religion. And they'll say he taught great things and we really appreciate the philosophies he gave us and all this. And and we can admire all day at who Jesus was. But the difference comes when we get inspired and hopefully when we stare, you know, you get the opportunity to go somewhere, you see a great sunset. We, we admire that for a moment and then we go, but that God that created that is so amazing, I want to serve him. I don't just sit back and go, that's, that's beautiful. I'm glad there's some God out there somewhere. No, but that we would know the personal God that we understand and who died for us, and we would say, I'm going to live life differently. And the disciples got stuck there for a minute, staring at the sky, and then the angels come and say, what are you waiting for? You've got something to do. So this, this question is it. Will you sit and admire what I sit and admire, or will you live or I live inspired? You know, I think sometimes in life, certain areas of life become uninspired. Some of us might be at a job that we've been at forever. And we go because it's a paycheck. Don't want to start over. Need the money. So I'm just going to go. But it's not an inspiring part of your day. Maybe some of us are in a marriage that has grown uninspired. Been together for a long time. Don't really want to change things. They're all right. You know, hang out for a while. Don't want to change anything. So we just stay. Church experience. Oh, it's, you know, it's not bad. It's okay. Pastor Corey doesn't preach too long, so it's okay. We get uninspired in certain areas of life. And I think that the truth comes, if we've actually been inspired by this, every area gets inspired. We don't allow, at moments, I get it. There's stale times where something's frustrating and you just go through ebbs and flows, right? That, that's just going to happen. But when we're truly inspired by Jesus, every area of life gets inspired. So now my job is a place where I can be Jesus to other people. My marriage is a place where I can serve my spouse as Jesus would serve them. My relationship at church, church, my relationships at church are a way for me to inspire others to continue to serve the God we serve together. We don't allow those areas of life just to kind of get stale, but that inspiration of understanding who Jesus is and what he did for us just kind of spreads to every area of life, and it changes the way we live. Listen, these people in Acts that ended up, we'll hear about them, that gave up their lives because they believed Jesus rose from the dead, they were inspired in every area of life. It wasn't just in their religion that they're like, oh, yeah, I'm so inspired there, but everything else is a dud. No, 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 it was everywhere. Everything they did, we'll learn this. Everything they did was to honor God because they believed it to be true. So the question for us, right, we can sit and we can admire all day long. We can sit and we can watch the clouds and it'd be great. And we can just sit and think Jesus is going to come back one day. The question is, what will we do? And will we live lives that are inspired? As we go through Acts this year, I hope that that's our challenge. That we would look at the lives of these people, that we would trust Luke's account and say, we are not called to live boring, uninspired lives as followers of Jesus but we're called to live lives that are completely inspired by the truth of his love and his death and his resurrection because he wants us to build the kingdom where we are. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so thankful for Luke and for his words, uh, both in the gospel of Luke and in Acts. And as he sets up uh, this book that we're going to study throughout this year, we, we ask that the truth of your resurrection, the truth of your gift of life to us would settle into us so deeply that it would inspire us to live differently we're so thankful that we can have these accounts that tell us that the people who knew you best in those moments were the ones that were convinced the most that you really did rise from the dead and we pray that we would learn from the lives of these people that were willing to give up their lives to give up their well-being to say we're going to build the church and even though we don't face the kind of persecution here that they faced we pray that we would live lives that are completely inspired, not just that we would sit back and admire you and think it's good and we like to sing your songs and we like to listen to your teachings, but that it would clearly and truly change who we are, that our lives would become completely inspired by you. And I pray that over the course of this year that you would really plant that deep into our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name.